Well, ain't this a treat. In this episode, it's me being the guest on the UpTalk podcast. So it just came out on the UpTalk podcast today, Sean Conahan, that was kind enough to have me on his show. And here you go, me on the UpTalk podcast, answering every question you didn't ask about me. (laughs) Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's an honor. Oh, honor's mine, brother. Uh, just been, I, I know a little bit about you just from the community and from the sheepdog community a little bit, uh, but I don't know a whole lot about you. So just maybe for myself and our listeners, give us a little bit of your origin story. Where'd you grow up? What was that like? And, you know, how'd you find yourself uh, heading towards the military? <laughs> well, I am an Alberta <laughs> boy. And uh, how I got in the military is is uh, kind of funny. I was first exposed to it as an army cadets, and it wasn't much of a cadet corps really. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all we did was drill and I think a couple of outings, and that was it. Right. Uh, my oldest boy is in PPCLI cadets now, and okay. it's a phenomenal corps. Uh, Twenty five fifty four out at Calgary. They're so good. Uh, the kids just love it. It's way better than when I was a kid. <laughs> but that was my yeah. first exposure to that world. But I really had no plans joining the military at the time. Um, but uh, I took the scenic route through high school and didn't graduate till I was twenty years old. But I didn't quit. There you I go. Didn't, that's I, that's I, the main thing. I stuck her out, <laughs> and um, uh, but uh, when I first moved out, which was actually before graduation, even um, I was working at Tim Hortons Donuts, working the night shift, and the people that would be coming in all the time, they were uh, miserable, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, they got these stories like the older I get, the better I was, and. Uh, three ex-wives and, uh, you know, I'm like, oh my God, that I had the realization I'm an idiot because I was a, you know, a ding dong in high school and th- I'm going where they are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? This is the path that you're headed down. This is my path. I'm going to be a glimpse bitter- into your future. Oh, it was. And I thought, holy yeah. shit balls, I got to do something. And hmm. uh, so I figured the military and I figured, uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's at least I'll have something and something respectable, a good resume stuffer. And, right. and it's a three-year commitment, you know, if you're non-commissioned. So away I go, but I started the process as a medic. That's what I really wanted oh, to okay. be, was a medic. Um, I had dreams of being on a cliff rescue team and stuff like that, which I did volunteer, but uh, it's all I want to do, SARTEC, rescue, that kind of thing. So I go through the process and, uh, and I thought I heard the recruiter say, okay, you're in after I've done the medical and all this stuff, you know, and you ship out on, uh, February 11th or whatever it was. And, um, but I, it's, you know, the end of January and not really hearing from them. I go back to the recruiting center and they go, oh, I'm sorry, you misunderstood. You competed for the position as medic, but you didn't get it. I was like, oh, oh, oh my God. So I said to wow. him, yeah, wow. I, uh, I sank into my boots and I said, well, I already had the going away party. So what else do you got? <laughs> <laughs> Music to a recruiter's ears. Well, right. have you ever heard of the infantry? No, but I'll take it. What is it? And uh, <laughs> in infantry, hmm. I went. So it, kind of the exact opposite of the way I wanted to go is the way I went. You know, uh, wow. trained killer instead of a trained healer. Whoops. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, so, so what year would that have been that you, that you started that? 
Uh, my course in basic was 91.12, Yeah, 91.06, 12 platoon. That's why I screwed up. And okay. uh, so started in 91. Stuck her out for almost to the day, four and a half years. I usually round it up to five in conversation. Yeah. But it was actually four and a half. And uh, I got out July 95. And it was my tour in Croatia where I was like, mm, I don't think I could do this anymore. <laughs> really? That's when it sort of dawned on you? Well, in, in Croatia, I had a lot of realizations. And I didn't okay. know that I was injured uh, with uh, operational stress injury while I was there. But I right. did know something was deeply wrong. And I did know that I was blowing my stack uh, to an extreme. And I did know that I, I had an issue. But I did know it was PTSD because nobody knew that back then and nobody was talking right. about it back then in the 90s. Uh, so what were you seeing? Like you said, so there, you had some like temper stuff or oh, anger stuff? Or? To, to say the least. Really? Um, my, my life uh, revolved around picking up girls and getting in bar fights. And that was my whole life until mm. uh, I was probably 26 or 27. And, right. uh, well, till I started college at 26, I guess, then I started to, to settle down because I realized I'm going to end up in jail if I keep this up <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, which easily, easily could have happened, um, with some of the bar scraps and stuff. But the, did you realize this yourself or did someone start telling you that uh, something's up? You know what? Nobody was really telling me, you know, I never had that hand on the shoulder to say, dude, we got to talk. You need help. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Nowadays that would happen. I would think, I would hope, but um, no, I never had, never had that nudge. Wish to God right. I had, because I went uh, undiagnosed until about four years ago. So that's well over 20 years. Holy smokes. Okay. Yeah. Well over so, 20 years. So you figure out, so you start to become aware that something might be off. So what do you do? Well, I, even in college, um, I was kind of rescued from the path of becoming a, a cop because I, I took the police and security program. Okay. You know, and I actually went through the process first with EPS and I was doing well and I was very, very fit physically, but my cardio was low, like my power, like push-ups and chin-ups and right. crunches, all that was off the charts, but uh, my cardio kind of sucked. It was enough to pass the test by far, but still wasn't great. You know, that's where I would struggle yeah. the most. They said, well, you, uh, you got to do this um, uh, medical first. And so I did, and the doctor looked at me, oh, you got this heart murmur. I go, yeah, I know. I was in the infantry with it for four and a half years. You know, it didn't kill yeah. me there. It's like uh, they knew about it, and they didn't. And he's like, "Well, it's. I think it's a bigger deal than you're taught than than you think it is." I was like, "What are you wow. talking about? It's still a big deal." I got passed by the army doctor. He goes, "Like, yeah, <laughs> you got to worry about sudden death and heart disease." I'm like, Whoa! <laughs> wow, those are big ones. Those are big ones. And he told me that yeah. my heart was working twice as hard as a healthy heart, twice as hard. Wow! And yet somehow I was a Patricia. I did five years in the infantry and including uh, a couple of years in the third battalion, which was the most physically fit unit in the country. Really? I don't know how I did it. I mean, it hurt. <laughs> it hurt really bad, but huh. uh, somehow I pulled it off even with half a heart. But that, wow. uh, that diagnosis followed by surgery in 99, I had uh, only one guy in the country that could do it. Dr. Uh, Modry, David Modry out of Toronto so Alberta Health 
flew me to Toronto plus an escort because yeah. you can't carry your bags and shit after you've been cracked or open. You know, yeah, split, yeah they frown upon that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was open and like they cracked my rib cage the whole nine yards, uh, uh, buff, ported and polished my valves, and then I was good to go. Really? Um, yeah. What, what year was that that you had heart surgery? 99. 99. Yeah. And that's why I reconsidered being a cop. Although I also didn't trust my temper. I thought I'm going to end up punching out an old lady or something, <laughs> like something horrible. Uh, if I do this, I knew I didn't have the capacity to regulate my emotions that I knew. I just did not connect the dots that that was PTSD or an OSI. Right. Huh? Okay. So you get through the surgery and I mean, so now you're dealing with the, this physical sort of rehab of this post of the surgery. How, how's your head? now like where are you at in your head well it was uh it was a hell of a traumatic thing i it was just yet another near-death experience for me they make you sign this uh, piece of paper that says there's a three percent chance that you're not going to survive it now three percent doesn't sound like a lot but if you put that in uh driving terms okay you're gonna be driving in rush hour traffic every day but there's a 3% chance every day that you might not make it. So you go to work a hundred times, you should die three times. Yeah. You know, and uh, nobody would go to work. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Uh, or if you put it in skydiving terms, uh, three out of a hundred jumps, you're going to, you know, are, you're probably going to die. Well, there's Man. no sport called skydiving then because it just, yeah. you're not going to do it. It's more like one out of 150,000 jumps or right. not, not even. But, um, huh. so it was a big number for me. And, uh, when I was getting wheeled into the anesthetic room, I already had in my head the good die young and, uh, yeah. cause I was 29 years old and JFK Jr. had just splashed down in the Great Lakes, like just right. like a week prior. And, uh, so I had that on my mind <laughs> and the nurse, I swear to God, what she said to me uh, as she said, hey, how about that JFK Jr., eh? Well, yeah, why is it always the young, you know, the, <laughs> no why way. is these those good people die young? And I'm like, I, I, I could Dude, even. this is the wrong time to be saying that. Yeah, not exactly bedside matter, right? No. And uh, so when they had me in that uh, really weird operating room, it's just, it's like this out of the movies, it's just, everything's white, you know, and there's all these people and they don't seem like people, they more seem like robots and, and they're just, there to do a job. And, uh, when the light started to go out, cause he's putting the syringe in my IV or whatever, um, or the gas, I don't even remember which, mm. but, um, whatever it was count back from a hundred, you get to like three and you're out. But when I saw the lights go out, I figured this is the last thing I'm ever going to see. And when I woke up the next morning, whenever I woke up, um, yeah. I, I was shocked. Like, I didn't think I was alive. The first thing I see is this gorgeous nurse. And, um, and I actually said to her my first words, am I, am I dead or alive? Like, are you an angel? And, really? and she actually teared up at that. Cause I, I was like, are you telling me I'm alive? Really? Cause I didn't think I would be. I thought I was done. Really? Huh. Wow. Now, through this whole time, like after you got out of the military in 95, like were you, were you getting therapy or did you, did you get help for any of your stuff? No. 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 Uh, it was 
I was I was on my own, and it, anybody that had to deal with me, my temper, everything else. Uh, I mean, if I got mad, I'd punch a hole in the wall, or I once punched out the uh, windshield of my uh, car that I had from the right. fr- from the driver's seat position. Just started smashing it. Didn't know you could do that, but it actually breaks pretty easy. Huh. It, uh, so so it didn't get any better. Like, that didn't get any better once you get out of the military. It's just stayed the same. Uh, for a while, yeah, and until I just kind of had some self realizations of okay, this isn't okay, and that isn't okay, and I can't do that anymore, and I quit drinking for a couple of years, right? And because uh, I didn't trust myself, you yeah. Know, um, PTSD plus alcohol equals trouble. Yeah, usually, yeah, that's right. So, huh? Took a while to calm down. It was just modeling and mentoring. Going to college was helpful. Because I realized, okay, I'm the only person like this. Nobody else is like this. And right. uh, they're, most of them are two, three years younger than me, at least. And yeah. uh, so is by that my situational awareness and self-awareness started to grow about what was okay and what wasn't okay. But um, what never stopped, though, was the for years was the hypervigilance and the nightmares. Well, I still have the nightmares. But mm. um, that's... That's a daily thing. The, right. uh, the hypervigilance lasted, Jesus, at least five, six years, where like just scenario, worst case scenarios, combat scenarios, always, it never turned off, even when I was sleeping. Huh. So was there a point, did you, did you go somewhere for help at some point? Nope. Uh, not until uh, my first marriage was burnt up. And I, I destroyed right. that. Yeah. And um, then in my second marriage, about uh, four years ago, my sweet little boy was walking to the dishwasher with his plate in his hand, and that plate tipped over, and the crumbs fell to the floor, and I lose my shit. And I'm mm. I'm yelling at him, Dawson, you got pay attention, and I just watched him break. Yeah. Because of how harsh I was being with him. I watched him melt and, but I, it was like an out of body experience, but I couldn't stop myself. Like I wanted to stop myself. I'm screaming at myself to stop myself, but I couldn't, I didn't have the ability until my wife put her hand gently and compassionately on my shoulder and said, Mark, they're just crumbs. We can clean those up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I just got it and I just realized, okay, I need help now. Right. Uh, reached out to the Legion, started the process, and I was it was the hardest phone call I've ever made in my entire life. I don't know, because we're the heroes, right? Well, yeah. One of my previous guests early on in the podcast said it's a 1,000-pound telephone. Oh, it was. Yeah. It was. It was the toughest call I've ever made in my life. It, like, I had to nut up like I've never had to nut up before, and I've been shot right. at. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, picking up that phone was brutal. Um, and then I did what, what everybody else does when they reach out for help. I'm not saying it's operationally, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'm not saying that there's an operational link here. I just, I know that I'm a mess and I know I need help and I don't need any money. I just, can you just do a checkup from the neck up for me? You know? And then of course, diagnosis is like, it's classic PTSD. Of course it's operationally and they, they do one hell of an investigation you know, uh, psychometric test and everything else. And it was obviously operational. 
And in hindsight, knowing what I know now, of course it was operational. <laughs> and yeah. um, I didn't uh, realize the Legion can help you with that. So you went through the Legion for your assistance. That was my first call. And um, they were okay. Johnny on the spot, uh, Northwest Command in Calgary. Right. And um, uh, got back to me and they started as an advocate for me. So they were okay. what's called a service officer. Okay. And through that service officer, they have uh, a bat phone to uh, uh, to uh, VAC, Veterans Affairs right. Canada. Okay. People call it the VAs. Like that's the states, man. <laughs> it's VAC, <laughs> yeah, but Veterans Affairs Canada. And um, th- from there, the ball started rolling and started getting in the system. And what a system it is! Without an advocate, there's no way in hell I would have been able to figure it out. Yeah, no I've heard way. horror stories of trying to figure it out. Yeah. Well, even healthy people can't figure it out. Yeah. But when your brain is all a flap because of an OSI, good luck. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, because I've heard of stories like that. Like people tell me, oh, they came back and they said, you know, I'm denied because I made this mistake on my application or didn't do this right. Well, what do you expect? Um, you're dealing with someone that has an injured brain, yet you are, you are requiring them to make the right decisions through this process. It's kind of asinine. It is. And uh, without, yeah. a, without an, an advocate, you're screwed. And, um, and there's different stories. I know lots of people with really, really depressing stories about VAC and that program. Myself and several others are happy about it. Uh, right. I received the help that, uh, not in a timely manner, it took 10 months from start to actually see a therapist. So right. it, it was a stretch. But uh, hey, I got the help. Three years of therapy every week. Um, right now I'm doing vocational rehab and, uh, so there I'm, I'm learning some new stuff, uh, to, to, to help me along with my life and they're paying for it. They paid for the therapy, uh, any meds that you need, they're paying for that too. It's, right. um, it's, it's been great. The only thing that they won't go anywhere near are cannabis products, but there's a way around that. They'll, they'll fund it. They just won't, uh, do it directly. So okay, they'll, right. they'll still cover it, but, uh, but you have to find your own doctor that'll write the prescription with the prescription. They'll, they'll cover it and you're good. Right. I mean, and, and these days it's easier than it ever was. I mean, organizations like Spartan wellness, uh, cause I, I, I had some dealings with them and make it so easy for veterans just to get their prescription. And then, like you said, if, if you are a veteran through veterans affairs, Canada, chances are it's covered. And, uh, you, but you have to, yeah, it's getting that prescription. That's the, that's the hurdle you have to go through. Well, that's it. And for any of the service providers out there, uh, whether you're a massage therapist or whatever, if you do not do direct billing, you're not going to get a veteran very often. Oh, but, really? You know, um, because the, the paperwork is just overwhelming. We can't do the hassle. If you have right, an, to going back and getting it afterwards, right? Yeah. And it may seem like zero hassle to you, but to somebody with an OSI, uh, any uh, roadblock <laughs> that you put in front of us is it's just overwhelming. Can't do it. Yeah, it's that, a mountain. It's a mountain. That that little pebble that you see as a pebble is a freaking Mount Everest for for many of us. Not all of us, but many. And I know mm-hmm. if, if it's not direct billing for me, I won't do it. I won't do it. Right. So we look back now throughout the, throughout that process. I mean, were, are you happy with how that therapy process went? I I am. I got lucky. Um, I, st- I started and, and went through, like, there's no real end point, but I've been with the same no. therapist for over three years, and that doesn't happen a lot. 
a lot of people, they have a bumpy road. They go through a few before they find a good fit, you know, right. and it's a combination of things. Uh, partially like, are you ready to receive help? <laughs> That's the big one. You know, so many people aren't, they think they are, well, I'm asking right. for help. Yeah, but you're not listening, dude. <laughs> right. Know? Or you're not ready. You're not, you're not ready, ready to put the work in that's required of you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, recovery is an activity, not an event. You have to yeah, do something. It. Yeah. It's, it's an activity, not an event. You got to work for it. Hmm. So at what point did you start to think about helping others in this community? Well, not too far in, into uh, the program, I bumped into a fellow by the name of John Sr., who at the time was he was getting paid by uh, the OSI clinic or OSIS to uh, be a peer support coordinator. And he's like, hey, okay. we got this uh, peer support group. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, you know? I like, don't think so. Yeah, Thank I don't you. think so, man. That sounds yeah. pretty uncool to me. But he was right. convincing, and I showed up. And uh, thank God I did. Because mm -hmm. as it turns out, uh, peer support is as effective and in some cases more effective than therapy because it yeah. creates connection. And one yeah. of the four amplifiers for an OSI is it creates disconnection. Disconnects you from your family, from yourself, from from your community because right. um, uh, you're the odd, odd duck out. But within peer support, groups of other people that are going through the same thing, you realize, okay, yeah, I'm a mess, but it's the injury, not me. I don't have mm. to beat myself up about this. I just have to figure out how to recover. Right. And I'm not alone. And look at all these other people going through the same thing with very similar stories to my stories. Yeah. You know? Oh, I mean, yeah. Th that's the biggest thing is that you realize it's, we've all heard the phrase, you are not alone. And, but until you sit in a room with other people whose path to there may be different and that's fine, but you're all there, you know, the feelings, the feelings are the same. The emotions are the same. The trauma may be different but the results are the same. When you sit there and realize that and look around and you go, yeah, like I'm so far from being alone. You're just, you're not alone. And it's so important to understand what you just said. Um, most people don't, that it doesn't under, it doesn't matter the modality of the trauma. No. You know, um, there's no trauma Olympics, dude. There's no, there's no gold medal. That's it. There's nothing. It's all relative. And it doesn't matter the modality, but we do that all the time. It's like, well, I shouldn't have uh, uh, PTSD because my tour, it wasn't all that eventful. Now, if I was in Afghanistan, but then the Afghanistan veterans say, well, what roto were you on? You know, because this roto was worse than that roto and I don't have it. Yeah. How do you know you don't have it? Uh, right. You know, uh, so why do you? Well, I always liken it unto a landmine and uh, I've had lots of landmine incidents. They freaking suck. But... Um, with a landmine, you get your legs blown off and there's nobody saying, well, that place wasn't mined very much compared to where I was. How did you blow up? <laughs> yeah. Or, or, what, right. or what's wrong with your legs that are so weak that a landmine just cheered them right off like butter? You know, like you got weak shins or something? You got to, <laughs> yeah. weren't you wearing your no, shin no pads? No one's saying that. Nobody's saying that. And, uh, and yet with an OSI, we say the exact same thing all the time. Yeah, we do. I mean, if you, and if you, if you spread that out over the whole first responder community, 
the rest of us that are not military, a lot of us are saying, you know, at first of all, I can't have that because, you know, I wasn't in the military. That's a military thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it may be obviously more prevalent, you know, the, the, the percentage of, of how prevalent it is may vary, but you know, it's the same, it's the same, it's not the same trauma, but it's the same path. You're putting yourself in the line of trauma every day. Like I, I liken trauma to uneven ground. So let's say a civilian, a normal person, a civilian, you know, every now and then they walk on uneven ground. In other words, you know, they, they'll experience trauma as well, but most times they'll deal with it. They won't trip and fall. Right. But first responders and military, and I lumped them together, we go out and we walk on uneven ground every day as our job. Right. If you see uneven ground like trauma. So of course we're going to trip. We're going to lose our footing more often than the person that doesn't, uh, you know, but it's just, it's, the military is, it is different. We, we can lump them in, but my perspective never being in the military is that I do sort of hold you guys in, in it, guys and girls in a, in a different way as far as like, you're the top of the pyramid as far as first responders go because of the commitment that you make to do the things that you're, that you, that you may have to do over, you know, when you're, when you're deployed, it's a different level. I mean, it is your, uh, and, and I just, you're in the first and Sean I mean? and Sean, I disagree. I mean, I've heard, no? okay. I, I've heard, I've heard that a lot and I disagree. Right. I almost see it exactly the opposite way, which is what we do. Wicked. You know, you know, yeah, it, it, it's it, it, the, the trauma Olympics goes both ways. It's either, no, no, yours is worse than mine or mine's worse than right. yours. You know, everybody's, uh, but the modality of trauma does not matter. Uh, as right. a, uh, example, whether you consider it a great example or, or a terrible one, it's terrible to talk about, but, uh, I had Theo Fleury on uh, on one of my, yeah. you know. I, I did too early on, yeah. And Theo's just fantastic. And he, uh, he was raped 150 times by his coach. That's pretty horrific. Yes. Now, how that translated to his life is no different than my OSI from uh, being in a war. It's, right. it, it's no different. You know, the modality, because it's, it's a landmine either way. Right. It's a landmine either way. Like you can't see it coming. You can't control it. When it happens, it's not your damn fault. Yeah. You know, it's not your fault if uh, you, you get shot at. It's not your fault if uh, you, you get uh, raped by your coach. It's not your fucking fault. Right. Right. And um, so the modality doesn't matter. And it's the way I always say it when, because uh, it's not one or the other or versus, you know, the, the different modalities, I think first responders have a, a tougher go sometimes um, because it's every day for you guys. It's death by a thousand cuts. Sometimes it's right. a great big one where there's nothing, that's not a little paper cut. Like that's a freaking stake in your heart, mm. but, um, uh, but it's every day. And in soldiering, well, I was never in Afghanistan. So, I mean, it was every day for, for some of those guys. I know that. But right. in general, even in World War II, you could be in World War II for six years and see 20 days of combat in six years. You know, that's more normal than uh, all day, every day. Like it was in Vietnam and like uh, it is for a lot of soldiers in, uh, um, in a that who were in Afghanistan. But even then, I mean, if you're on the base... You're not at a forward operating base, but you're at CAF and a rocket comes ripping across. 
Well, that's a pretty scary traumatic event. Doesn't yeah. matter you weren't outside the wire. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your job was. And yet we can be so douchey to each other. Uh, yeah, it's like, totally. you know, I was outside the wire and you weren't, you know, so what, what the hell do you got, uh, problems with <laughs> just being yeah. in that environment is, um, is enough because you're on all the time. And just as you are as a first responder, you're on all the time. So the hypervigilance yeah. is just, it's tough to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost impossible to avoid. Uh, probably is impossible, but so when did you start to have the idea for Operation Tango Romeo? When did you get the idea that you wanted to start doing something? Right. Thanks for circling back to that. So that peer support group I mentioned earlier. Right. Um, yeah. After joining it uh, and understanding the power of it, uh, a couple months in, um, I was asked to get my course to be a peer support, uh, support facilitator. Okay. Uh, which took over a year before I finally got it. And instead of doing really? it locally or on a webcam or something, they flew me to Montreal to do it. And I'm like, well, I was grateful for the trip to Montreal, but there's got to be a better way, but that's the military. Um, right. So went to Montreal, took my five-day course. Don't think it was a great course. I think it uh, focused on, anyway, but anyway, uh, got yeah. it. Got my certification. Got and um, And then started... Well, actually, I started before that, even though they didn't like it. But uh, I started uh, co-facilitating or flat-out facilitating the peer support group. And mm. from there, we had some veterans that don't have access to Veterans Affairs Canada, uh, like one guy from South Africa. And I just realized, like, this gr- awesome group that we have every couple of weeks, how do I scale it? Because there's people that are asking, how do we preserve these lessons? And it's like, well, how can right. I get... 600 people in the room instead of six, you know, and still having meaning flow. And I had my other um, podcast, the Mikey Show podcast. So I'd already gone through the learning curve. I got the gear. So I went on Fiverr, got a logo for 30 bucks. And uh, (laughs) I just started and uh, and just started to grow. So it's been a a year now that Tango Romeo has um, been together. Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders and their families. So we're just past a year, uh, 38 episodes. Um, what do I include this one? It'll be 39 yeah. uh, after September 15th. And yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the feedback I've been getting from first responders, nurses, paramedics, um, soldiers, people that are either, they're already through the system, but they need to continue to do their, their follow-up or people mm. that aren't ready to get into the system. Um, they called me back. Like they, they send me private messages or we go for coffees and they say, look, my, my son who's been dealing with me has been listening to this. And, be, and because of that, uh, like our relationship is so much better because we understand mm. each other better and he understands me and the content from the, from Tango Romeo has given us, um, fuel for conversation and self-discovery with each other. And we're and there's couples that listen to it together, and then mm. after the episode, they, they sit and talk with each other and, and sort of debrief that that episode, and it brings them closer together as a couple. Wow! You know, um, how does that make you feel when you hear that? Like I need to keep going. You know, yeah. like I'm not wasting my time here. And you found another way to serve. I found another way to serve. Right, and which is a big deal for us. Because we lose our identity. Once you're 
not mm. doing it anymore. We're on the outside looking in, we feel. We don't have an identity. We're not part of that special group anymore and, and not helping like we used to help. And being able to serve in a different way is a, is a huge thing. Yeah, it's it's in you. It's it's always been in me since I was a little kid. I'm just been a healthy helperton, you know, and I <laughs> uh, just like to help. And this through through Tango Romeo and through the Uptalk podcast, that's what we're doing because we're you can't get rid of the stigma without talking about it. Yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, <laughs> that's one of my pet peeves. Like, I'll. When people, uh, it hasn't happened a lot lately, but a couple of years ago, people were big on trying to get it, get rid of the whole uh, disorder part of PTSD yep. because that word has a stigma to it. It's a shitty word. and it, it, it is a bad word, but unfortunately, that's the clinical diagnosis. And you can't, you can't destigmatize a word by getting rid of the word. That only adds stigma to it. So instead, <laughs> that's a good point. In, instead, I, you know, for me, this is only speaking for me personally, I embrace it. Yeah. It's 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 my word. I listen. PTSD was not the retirement prize that I'd hoped to get at the end of my career. <laughs> okay, that that's that's not what I planned to get. However, I earned it. I earned every bit of my PTSD. It's mine. I embrace it. Uh, it's for me using the word disorder kind of makes sense when I go through the whole the whole pathophysiology and then you know how it works. It's. You know, in it, your brain, it's it makes more sense. It's more accurate to call it a PTSI, though. Not because it makes me feel it better. Is. It's just more yeah. accurate. It's an injury. Yeah, it is. And and, and that makes sense to me. If I was going to move to anything, that makes sense. PTSI. To me, that makes sense as well. It's just more you know? accurate. Yeah, for sure it is. But yeah, it's, it's so funny because people just say, you know, we don't like this word. We're just going to get rid of it. Well, that doesn't help. It's well, the same as, you know, suicide or but it does. You can't destigmatize something by by making it taboo. That's sh- what causes sh- the stigma in the first place. To share with you, uh, to segue off of that, Sean, yeah. uh, just finished the rolling barrage. And one of the right. uh, phrases, Oh, it was awesome. But, uh, so it's a cross Canada motorcycle ride, um, where you can do it all or a portion of it. Yeah. Uh, and it raises money for military minds who, who vet, uh, military and first responder charities and resources and then fund them. Right. Um, but one of the phrases that was said to me by actually a, a guy who was both a soldier and a firefighter uh, was recover out loud. Yeah, I saw that. Recover out loud. I never heard that before until a few days ago, somewhere in Jasper. And I thought, that's perfect. That's a t-shirt. Yeah. You know, that, that's, um, it's perfect. Recover out loud. I don't know if anybody's looking to start a podcast, but I'll tell you. Recover Out Loud will be a good name for a podcast if you're starting one. Well, I, th- I think it's going to be uh, my new um, uh, tagline <laughs> for Tango yes, Romeo. Take it. Yeah, Recover Out Loud. That's a that's a beautiful tagline because it it's perfect because that's exactly what you have to do. The only way we're going to get through this and we're going to make it normal is by just talking, talking, talking. That that's the only thing you can do. It just and just make people feel safe talking about it. And not, you know, no judgment. That's why my thing is, you know, more love, less judgment. That's my sort of tagline because that's what's needed. And more you talk about it, you know, um, and it's not easy. I got a flipping podcast of 38 episodes. It's still not easy. No, dude, it's not easy. This is my fifth season. It's not easy. Uh, I love it. 
Um, I love doing it. It's helped me. I mean, uh, I got into this just to educate myself and try to figure this out. And if anybody else sort of found it interesting and want to listen, that'd be great. But it's difficult. I mean, I take, you know, at the end of my season, I usually wrap up my season the end of November-ish, late November. And I take a couple months off and I start my next season February 1st usually. And I need that couple months. Like, I'll just uh, refresh, reboot, because... It is, uh, I love it to death, but it is exhausting to do. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, got you, you to you self-care, I mean. you can't overdo it. Like I've been stepping back and back and back from the peer support group and just put, right. keeping my focus on Tango Romeo because you, you have to look after yourself. And I've got to focus on other things right now. I still have to maintain focus on my recovery, but I'm, because right. uh, that's a lifelong thing. Like there is no end point really. No. You know, you got to be vigilant. No. I, I likened it to, uh, like, have you ever tried to get a stain out of the carpet or out of your favorite <laughs> shirt, right? Yeah. And you're working not, at it. Yeah, and, I'm not good at it, but yes. <laughs> and you're trying, you know, the magic eraser and everything else, and you're, you're doing everything you can, and it's like, oh, it looks pretty good, but you can still see where that stain was, and you still know, you know, yeah. you, you can still That's see right. it. Other people can't always see it, but you can. And, and that's what an OSI is like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never fully gone. You know, there's always no. scar tissue there that uh, that maybe other people can't see it, but you can feel it. Yeah, it's, it's always there. like you may be, I liken it to being in remission. You mm. can go through a long period of time of doing well if you maintain your routines and do the hard work to keep yourself on the right path. But if any, if any point in time, like for me, if at any point in time I stop journaling or stop meditating stop doing breath work or stop doing any of the things that I know contribute to my wellness, all that stuff will come back. I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. I don't want to test it, but <laughs> you know, but I, I kind of liken it to being in remission. Like, you know, I don't necessarily think that you're cured of things. I think you learn to manage it and you become yeah. a different person, a better person than you were before, you know, before your injury. Recovery is an activity, not yeah. an event. It's not a That's place right. you get to. It's an activity that becomes a habit. Right. It's a lifestyle. It is. It, it, it has to be. In order for it to work, it has to be. And I think that's where a lot of us, and me, me myself early on, that's where a lot of us kind of get it wrong mm-hmm. is that we rely on psychologists or our families or our friends or our employer or other organizations to fix things for us. Just fix it so I can move on. That's not how it works. Uh you have a, you know, a big part in your own recovery. You're the most important part. If you don't do the work and if you don't, you know, you have to go through the hard stuff. You have to embrace the suck. Like it's, it's not going to be fun at all, but it's the only path to get there. There's no other path. It's just like the gym, you know, it's like, well, I worked out once, so I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like, no, dude, it's, it's every day. And if you, if it's, if you work out once a week, that's good. Twice a week is better. Seven days a week is the best. If you do it right and you do it smart, you can overdo it. Sure. Of course you can. But, uh, the people that are like world champions at this, that, and the other, it's six or seven days a week, Hmm. you know, and, and that's how it is. Uh, the rock is six days a week, you know, and the more you put into it, the more you get out of it, but it doesn't matter how much you've put. Well, I've been working out six days a week for four years. Uh huh. And when's the last time you worked out? Three years ago. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and well, dude, <laughs> you can't stop. Yeah. You know, you can't stop. It's an activity, not an event. Yeah. You know, so true. I mean, how have you found? So you've been. Uh, what was your other podcast about? Was was it related to this community at all? Or what was it about? No, you know what? I um, I'm a realtor, and oh right, yes. So I thought I'd I'd start start a podcast where I can meet business owners because that's my my people. You know, if it's not veterans and first responders, it's business owners, right? And uh, there's a lot of crossover there actually, but. Um, right. Those were my people, so I, I figured, well, I don't know anybody in Okotoks, so I, I moved here to follow my wife down here, so I have zero network, right. and, with, and your network is your net worth if you're a realtor, yeah, so I got to meet me some people. So I started a business association, and that, that's gone really well. Uh, I hand over the reins to it, but it's going really well, um, and the podcast, and then I fell in love with the podcast. Cause it's just right. really good conversations. And my skill set was getting better at having those conversations and asking better and better questions. And I just fell in love with it. But when Tango Romeo uh, came into existence, that's where the bulk of my focus is now. Right. And I actually have a uh, pretty big uh, guest that's going to be coming on. I'll tell you off air who it is. Oh, really? Oh, but okay. uh, it's a, it's a home run hit. Let me tell you. Really? It's cool when that happens, eh? Like, obviously, I mean, all guests are, are awesome and it's a blessing to have them on. But then you, you do get some ones that are like, whoa, like this is going to be big. This is going to be a big chat. Well, and, and not because, not for my ego, but the for the exposure. I mean, the resource yeah. you don't know about doesn't help. The book you don't read doesn't help. The podcast <laughs> yeah, you don't right. listen to doesn't help. So the more exposure, I mean, you need it. And a good way to increase exposure is with the support of people that have large platforms. Hmm. So, I mean, and, and that, that goes into my whole attitude. And I've talked about this before. Like when I started this podcast in 2016, there weren't many others, if any, mental health for first responders podcasts around. And then shortly after, more started popping up and people started doing them. And at first I was really cranky about that. <laughs> I was, I was really I, like, my ego got way out of control. Like I would, I would see it and I'd go like, God damn it. I can't believe this person's starting a podcast. You fucker. Just like mine. <laughs> yeah. And like, so now people aren't going to listen to mine. And what if they like theirs better than mine? And maybe I'm not good enough to do like all this bullshit, like this big mind fuck that. Yeah, and when I found out about the Eptalk podcast, that's just how I felt. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, but what I learned was, or what I, you know, quickly, I turned it around and said, no, 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 like, and I firmly believe this now, like, people need choice. People may, you know, they may not like Uptalk podcast. They may not connect with it, and that's cool. And if they have other resources such as, you know, Tango Romeo, maybe they'll connect with that. So what I try to do now is I try to share everybody's stuff, like on my social media. I try to share all podcasts, all forms of programs, just because you don't know what someone's going to connect with. And there's more than enough work to go around <laughs> for all of us and more. Like we need more. We need more podcasts. We need more resources. And I, I think that's, you know, that's just another way. The, the challenge gonna, is that there's so much that is so fragmented that people don't know what's going on. But that's the beauty of your show and my show is that um, you can just go through the show list and yeah. you see all the different resources right there. They're they're aggregated. 
So yeah. I go through all the topics, you know, uh, this person with this organization is like, oh, what's that about? And this and it right. says in the show notes, this is what we're talking about. It's like, well, shit, that's what I've been looking for. It's right there. So you yeah. can click on that episode and all those resources are aggregated. You know, whether if you're interested in equine therapy, we've both had Jessica Vanderhoek on. Yeah. So that's fantastic. You know, you've had her on a couple of times and uh, like she's a, she's a wonderful guest. And oh, she's awesome. She'll talk about anything from equine um, uh, therapy to DMT and magic mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, all yeah. good stuff. If it works, it works. It, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. And I mean, what I found is too, because I'm obviously I'm new to Calgary. So Were, uh, well, yeah, you're East Coaster? East Coaster from Nova Scotia. Then I was, I was in Fort McMurray for the last almost two years, pretty isolated up there really. And then came down here and now... Like all you guys are here. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's such a good uh, community here, a good support community of public advocates, you know, whether it's Teresa Coulter or Carl's here, you know, just there's so many people that I, I feel it's just like a warm hug. Like I feel like I'm, I'm in a good place. Um, you know, if I, if I need to be somewhere away from my family working, th- this is a, this is a good place to be. Calgary's a, Calgary's a very unique um, area. Uh, there's two veterans food banks in the entire country. They're both in Calgary. There's only two in the country? In the country. And they're both in Calgary. There's the Veterans Food Bank that I'm not familiar with. I just know that they're there. Right. And uh, they seem to be doing good work. And there's the Veterans Association Food Bank with, uh, run by Marie Blackburn and a fantastic team of volunteers. And um, both amazing resources and I still have to do uh, some more shows with them, but um, veterans and first responders kind of need their own food bank separately because when you're the hero or you're used to be the hero and yeah. you're on hard times and you can't feed yourself or your family, asking for help is, uh, is it's pretty tough. tough. So if you're going into a, uh, an environment where there's zero judgment you know, and it's right. just, you just opened with welcome, you know, open arms and, yeah. uh, and among people that are your peers, you know, it makes it easier to reach out for help. Uh, there's so many stories of people out in the parking lot, walking around, walking in circles, trying to work up the courage to walk through the door. They see that every day, hmm. every day. They look out the window at somebody in the parking lot and they know what it is. It's somebody trying to work up the courage. So they walk I out. Can't believe, I can't believe there's only two of them in the country and both of them are here. They're both here. Yeah. And, uh, and if, if they're flush with food, they uh, give the overflow to the Calgary Food Bank and other food banks. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Now, uh, Mark, you're also, are you involved with the whole uh, Ruck March? Nope. You're not? Okay. I wasn't sure if you were involved in that or not. Not That's yet. Cool. Not yet. Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, great event coming up. I'll be talking to Carl about that shortly, I, I imagine. So h- how have you found your first year then of, of doing the podcast? It's been really rewarding, um, especially this last year of the Rolling Barrage at the different uh, stops uh, as part of the uh, safety briefings and stuff. I've been able to do my 60-second spiel. After that 60-second spiel, there's been a lineup of people that are like 
Uh, okay, it's five bucks for a patch. Here's 20, keep the change. It's 20 bucks for a hat. Here's 50, keep the change. Wow. And uh, and I got cleared out after just a couple of stops um, with back orders. It's like, oh shit, I got to order some more of this stuff. <laughs> and um, the, just the, the support and the and the thank yous and the looks of gratitude on in the eyes of some of these people as they looked at me, I locked for just that moment and just like, just so I could really understand. And they, no, thank you. Yeah. You have to keep going. And um, that's really, really uh, pumped my tires. You know, it's like, okay, this is important. I mean, yeah, yeah I got to ask load of content with 38 episodes, but I got to keep going. Yeah, that's I got to right. keep, I got to keep going. People need you this. Do. So Mark, what are some things in your life? The whole sort of overwhelming theme of Uptalk is owning your growth. What are some things that you've, some routines that you've put into your life specifically because you know it's good for your wellness. Well, motorcycle riding, uh, as, okay. mu- as much as I can. I've rediscovered my love for that. I grew up with mm. motorcycles since I was 10. And I uh, oh, really? got my first street bike when I was 14, so I wasn't even legal. <laughs> and um, it's it's just been a big part of my life that I lost for almost like 15, 20 years uh, for one excuse or another. But now that I'm back into it, um, on this ride, I, I actually experienced joy which is quite rare being a guy that suffers from depression and yeah that is hard that's a hard emotion to connect with oh it is hard um but actually feeling actual joy at the end of the ride i was just so elated my stepdaughter's like mark you're actually happy i've never seen you were beaming joy i've never seen you beam joy you know it's like it's like i was lighting up the whole table with joy and she's like i've never seen you like this I'm like, it's pretty rare. <laughs> it's pretty rare. <laughs> it's pretty rare. And when, when other people start noticing it, that's a big deal. Well, I, there's a couple of guys I've kind of uh, given a hard time to about riding their motorcycle too much. It's like, oh, it's, you know, anything could become an addiction, I'd say. But now I, I get it. At that time right. in their recovery, it was ride or die. That was yeah. it. Is either I, because uh, once I understood the euphoria of being, um, on the bike for that, it's the meditative state that it puts you in and you can right. do it. It doesn't have to be a motorcycle. It could just be meditation, you know, which I have right. struggled with, but it's a form of meditation on the motorcycle. It and, is. Yeah. And I understand ride or die. I get it. You know, it was, it was their, it's what they needed to stay alive. It was either this or they can't cope anymore and they're going to step off the planet. That was the choice. And now I, I actually understand after this ride it, um, mm. so to answer your question, spending more time on the motorbike, uh, physical fitness. Yeah. I've uh, been right. getting into arm wrestling because I can't. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't. Um, well, the world champion or former world champion was a Patricia, PPCLI, Devin Larratt. And uh, then he went to really? uh, JTF2, which is, he can't say that. He just says special forces, but I happen right. to be an insider. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was JTF2, which is a top tier, tier one um, special forces team. Um, although he can't admit that, um, but he's a world champ and he was a Patricia. I think he was a Royal as well. Uh, he, he, he got around, but, um, so that's kind of inspired me, but I need a why for fitness. I can't just go to the gym for vanity. I can't go because I know it's good for me. I need a reason and arm wrestling is that reason for me. I don't know if I'll ever get any good at it. I got two blown out shoulders, but I'm going anyway. 
<laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, so is it like, do you, do you like meet like every so often? I don't know what you've been doing during COVID, but I mean, well, I created generally, is there like a league or? Well, there, there's several leagues and there's groups. And uh, in Red Deer, there's Matt Mask, who's um, one of the top arm wrestlers in the world, like top 20 really? for sure. Yeah, out of Red Deer. Um, uh, the, there's champions all across the country, actually. But um, mm. I built a arm wrestling table, got a workout set up specific to arm wrestling, and really? uh, okay. start, started a club on Facebook, uh, Big Rock Pullers. A, um, being a, a puller is an arm wrestler. It's just one of the slangs. Yeah, and, I'm going to look that up right now. Yeah, but Big Rock Pullers. And uh, we we have yet to have our first group, but my stepkids' friends have all uh, got around and I've given them a little arm wrestling lessons and teach them really? the uh, techniques that I learned on YouTube. Thanks, Devin Larratt. And <laughs> um, yeah, it's I just need that focus. I need that why. And it's uh, there you are. I just found you. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm joining your group. Excellent. Big rock pullers. Cool. That's so, awesome. So you mentioned. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. The motorcycle riding is meditation. I'm sure that while you're riding, you're, you're present, you're maybe processing some stuff while you're riding. It totally makes sense to me. Yes. Uh, outside of the, mo- like, do you do any meditation like outside of the motorcycle riding or anything like that? Nope, but I should. No. Yes, you should. <laughs> yeah, you should. I'm going to give you trouble for that. The, uh, yeah. I was like that though for years. I, yeah. It wasn't until uh, I started, I became good friends with Teresa Coulter that and she and all she talks about is meditation and, and yoga and those are all things that I said I don't think so like I have no <laughs> interest in doing that like it's all hokey to me I don't really don't really want to do it I need to sit in, and, a, in a group or something and actually be taught how to do it yeah yeah and then I then I started doing it and actually I the first uh instance of meditation or the first door to meditation for me was when I went to project trauma support in December of 2016 and every, every day, the beginning of your day and the end of the day, you had a guided meditation with the group and it ended up being my most, like the favorite part of my day. It, it was, it was awesome. I'm not good at it. I'm still not great at it now. Um, but that, but the tool is there. I know that if I need it or if I'm having, you know, any kind of trouble, I can go to that. Like before podcast, like I use, I, I have a insight timer app on my phone which is a meditation app. So there's a little nine minute uh, cultivating focus meditation, which is awesome. So before each podcast, I'll sit down, I'll do this nine minute cultivating focus meditation gets me in the right mindset to be present for my guest. And it works really well. Like for me, I, I like it. And I use the, um, on Insight Timer as well, they have uh, binaural sleep programs. Do you know about this, binaural stuff? I do. Um, I, I, yeah. I haven't heard that term before, but there's several sleep apps that help you, and they, they follow yeah. your REM cycles and all that. Very important because uh, <laughs> probably the most common uh, symptom of having an OSI is you don't sleep for shit. Yeah, that's right. You don't. And so, so I, I use that in this sort of music that's tuned to a certain frequency, that sort of instigates uh, sleep, which I find really works for me. Um, Another big one is, uh, and part of the reason why the motorcycle works so well, um, having a digital diet, getting off your damn phone and, oh, and yeah. social media. Uh, Cause uh, I don't even listen to the radio when I'm on the bike. It's just me and the wind noise and mm. the cool audio hallucinations that happen when I'm on there. I hear sirens all the time when I'm uh, really? on the bike. Yeah. 
and I, uh, and convincingly, like I am actually looking around for, for, uh, for cop cars and ambulances. I hear them like clear as day and all the different uh, types of sirens too. I hear them all, but it, there's nothing there. It's just an audio hallucination, but, um, mm. uh, it's weird, but, uh, the digital diet. So one of the tricks that I've started for myself, uh, is, um, have a healthy digital experience instead of an unhealthy one getting into the politics and everything else on social media. Right. Uh, there's, it's so easy to get addicted to it. Um, it's toxic. It's so toxic. If you're going to be on YouTube, it should be on YouTube to learn something new, um, for cooking for something positive. So what yeah. I've done is I downloaded Duolingo and mm-hmm. what a fantastic app. So I'm learning French right now. Yeah, it is a cool app. We were doing Italian. My family was doing Italian. It's so good. So whether it takes me a year or five years, that's more French than I had before. And, um, but it's, it's a positive place to put my digital focus. And, right. and it's, uh, it's got all these uh, reminder things and tricks and you got to earn hearts and all this stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It gets on you. If you, if you miss it, yeah, it's it starts on you. getting cranky with you and telling you, hey, like, what are you doing? It's, like, so it's good. time to get back. It's like a VLT. <laughs> like, it, it's built to yeah. be addictive, which yeah. it has to be if, it, if it's going to be a habit. But if you're going to have a habit, learn a new freaking language or something. Like, do yeah. learn how to cook. Like, get a, have a good habit. If it's going to be a habit, have a healthy, productive habit that increases your life, not uh, takes away from it. Hmm. Have you ever floated? Not yet. There's oh, dude. float center Okotoks. I I've, I've definitely on the list. Go. Absolutely. Go. Your first time is going to be weird. It, may, it might be weird. You might coast through it, but it might be weird because of all the, because of the magnesium, the Epsom salt draws all these toxins out. Some people, the first time they go, they get really nauseous. They start to feel sick. It's because all those toxins are coming out. But if that happens to you, stay in, just stay in. You're going to be fine. And it won't happen after that. It'll get better after that. But man, I just had my first float in five months uh, here in Calgary at uh, Clear Float Spa. And man, I was asleep within five minutes. And uh, I was listening to uh, Dark Side of the Moon instrumental. That's what was playing while I was while I was floating. And it was it was awesome. I got to get a prescription but, for floating. That's what I need. Oh, dude, you will love it, especially because you're okay with. Because what you told me about the motorcycle, you're okay with shutting off all outside noise and just being alone with you in your head. Yeah. You seem to be okay with that. So, yeah, like you will, and you come up with ideas, Mark. Like you'll be sitting, you'll be floating, and because there's no other inputs, you'll be thinking, you'll have a great idea for the podcast or a great idea for a guest or a way to promote or something, you know, an event. Like all these ideas will come to you. I told the float tank people, I said, you need to put uh, waterproof, like one of those underwater notebooks that you can get, like for divers, and have it on the inside of the tank that's so the first, that when I have that, an idea. That's the first thing I, can, I, I was thinking is have the notebook yeah. uh, so as soon as you get out, you know, it's right there. <laughs> yeah. You need to write this stuff down because you're going to forget. Yeah. But uh, I've done that at three in the morning. I wake up and go, shit, I got to write that down. Yeah. Let me know when you float. I want to know how you like it. All right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a big uh, part of my wellness routine. I try to I try to float at least twice a month, um, and it's just it's a reset for me. And you come out and you feel great. You're you're refreshed. Your skin is amazing because of the Epsom salt and uh, the magnesium and everything else. And it's just it's it's wonderful. It's not for everybody. Like if you're severely claustrophobic, you're gonna have a, maybe have a tough time. 
on that um, on the last White House Down movie at the end of the movie. Have you did you see <laughs> yeah. that? Yes, the, the, yes, fl- yes. the floating scene. The, so yeah. the, the the veteran guy, the, the guy from Three Hundred. And uh, his dad, who was Nick Nolte, I think, and uh, they go to the uh, the float center. The lights go down, and they're like, "Nope, <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, nope, no, get thanks. the lights on, get me out of here." Yeah, or or I mean, if you don't have, uh, if you're not okay with silence, which a lot of people aren't yet in their journey to healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do in there, and what you can do, I use the float uh, when I'm not sleeping because I tend to I tend to sleep and have the best nap ever, but. When I, before that, what I'll do is I'll go through my breathing exercises. I'll practice them in the float tank. I'll do my box breathing or, you know, you inhale for eight seconds and exhale for 12 seconds. Or I'll do all these different kinds of breathing exercises that I learned. And that, that's where I practice them. And I find that it just, it's, it's phenomenal. For me, it works. Have you ever For done any of the Wim Hof stuff? I've looked into it. I have the app. That's another I one of those things. Like I got, I had the app too. I've d- never done it. Um, but, but I hear it's phenomenal. I hear it's awesome. Yeah, I, it's another one of those things. Like if there's a group, I'll go and join that group to do some Wim Hof stuff and freeze right. my ass off in some frozen water. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. sure, but, but mm-hmm. it works. It's good stuff. It does work. Yeah, absolutely. So Mark, how would you say, I mean, you've got two things in the go now. I mean, obviously you had uh, heart surgery a while back now and you're still in, you know, obviously this recovery uh, is not an event. It's a journey. As you said, it's an activity. How would you, how do you think you're doing now physically and, and mentally, would you say? Well, I'm on the proper side of it, you know, right. um, I'm much more functional. I'm, I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. Mm, nice. But I, I've, I always will have a way to go, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. that part is upsetting because like, it's never enough. You know, it's, it's, it's right. always going to be a struggle. I'm always going to be a bit of an asshole from time to time. <laughs> it's just less frequent, you know, right. and, and less intense when it does happen. And, and you're aware of it probably when it happens and you probably, if you need to apologize, you do it. So, well, that's it. And that's, that's the true journey of self-discovery is internal. It's, um, uh, for recovery. So first it's your self-awareness gets raised and right. what, and that has to be first. And that's the toughest part because then you have to own your shit. Not yeah. easy. It's the worst. But after your, your self-awareness comes up, then your situational awareness starts to come up. Then you realize the impact that you're having on, in your bubble. And with those two things, then you're able to see things for how they are, not how you think they are. And, right. and that is the only way in my mind that anybody can recover. Is is uh, but it's that's why it's such hard freaking work. Looking in the mirror, truly looking in the mirror, is a son of a bitch. And you know what? Yeah. A lot of people never do get to the point where they can do it, where they can own their shit. A lot of people no. just can't ever do it. No, yeah, and then that's when you see them stall. That's why they're stalling. Like when I hear, I know everybody has their everybody has their path to to growth, and it can take longer than others. But 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 when I hear people say that they've been in therapy for years, years and years and years, and they haven't seen any improvement. Man, I find that hard to listen. I find that hard to hear. I, I find myself thinking, hmm, what, what would be the reason for that? Like, are, are you totally into this process? Like, are you putting the work in? Or, or are, you, are you going to therapy thinking that your therapist is going to fix it and tell you how to fix it and then you're fixed? Uh, I think as soon as you think that, no, don't get me wrong. There are times when, you're, when your therapist is not a fit, you don't connect, 
in, in that case, you have to make a change. But I think if... And sometimes you have an ineffective one who just likes uh, getting the $130 right. every week. That's right. So whenever there's a problem, or if you think that's the case, if you think you know your therapy's not working, or if you think your family's not being supportive, or your employer's not being supportive, or any of these things, the first thing you need to do is look inward. Uh, that's what I think. You need to look inward and say, okay, am I, have I, am I all in on this process? Am I, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Because if, if that's not the case, then that's what you need to fix first. And then you may still find that your therapist sucks. <laughs> you, you, may, you may after that, and then you need to make a change. But I th- like you said about the mirror, people do not want to look inward. No, like, it's the hardest thing in the world. Terrified. Because then you have to take responsibility, and that's what people hate doing. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the only way. It's, it's the only there, way. There is no do other do, way. Uh, do, do you read any books? Are you a reader? I used to be. I've uh, even yeah. written a couple of books. And oh, really? uh, yeah, well, the first one, in hindsight, is how I survived PTSD. I, just, I didn't know that's what it was, but that's what it was. It was, um, I got to a certain point where I was starting to gain some self-confidence and like myself a little bit and, and really start to grow quickly. And, right. and then I was reading a buttload of books and 30 or 40 or 50 books on personal development. And, um, and I made up my mind. It's like, oh, geez, I got a kid on the way. So this is some time ago. And, uh, what if I get hit by a bus? Jesus, you know, uh, who's going to raise my kids? Well, I've got to collect all this great stuff I've been finding, uh, put it through the Mark filter and, mm. and, and write a book. And, and, uh, at three in the morning, one day in 2007 ish, uh, it came to me. I, I, re- I was like, oh, I got it. And I grabbed a stack of paper, ran downstairs to the kitchen table, and I started scribbling out the first parable of um, the book that two years later was published called Why Not wow. Me? The Keys to Unlock Your Power and Release Your Potential. If I was to name that book today, it's uh, the tools I have found to survive PTSD <laughs> is, is right. what the title would be. Um, but uh, I published it. Two months later, I got an international literary award for my contributions to human potential. I'm like what? What? Yeah. That? Wow. But I did. I won. Um, hmm. And in uh, uh, it, I it didn't just didn't do much with it. I had a few speaking gigs, spoke at a few schools and stuff like that, and it was good. But right. uh, but I always I had imposter syndrome. I thought, yeah, I wrote this book, yeah. but I'm still I'm a fraud. You know, right. I don't. I don't know shit. I'm not worth millions of dollars. I'm not a multimillionaire, so I'm a fraud. You know, mm. and um, so I never really believed that there was anything good there, um, wow. t- despite the accolades and the awards and the uh, the people who come back to me saying this book changed my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but mm. in, in hindsight, what I had to do to write that book, all the reading I had to do, and the mindset. Um, uh, things that I was able to adopt in order right. to, to get that done. That's how I survived it. And then sure shit, after it got published, you know, I'm not immersed in it anymore. I started to slide because I, because yeah. I wasn't doing the reading anymore. Cause I had already done that, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I started mm. to slide hard and then lost my marriage shortly after. Yeah. The reason, so yeah, the reason why I brought up books, it doesn't have to be books actually, it could be anything. Yep. What, what are like, whether it be books or anything else, what are, 
some people or some things that have been your inspiration along your journey of, of wellness? Have there been any, has there been anybody that's been an inspiration to you or a book or people that like that? People that have no idea. Um, just watching how other people deal with situations, how, like a friend, Jay McMillan, uh, he never served. Um, he's been through some shit though. And, uh, when I was having road rage incidents and I would tell Jay about it, he's like, huh, that's how you reacted, eh? Interesting. I just would have laughed and waved. And I'm like, yeah, you would have. How do you do that? I didn't know that was an option. Is that, is that really, could you do that? Cause I don't, cause, cause, cause he was right, you know, yeah. and, and I could see it. It's like, that is exactly what you do. You would smile and wave. That's that is, you know, you wouldn't even get upset. So mm. it's examples like that of people reacting the right way or not reacting at all or responding the right way, you know, instead of reacting the wrong way. Um, if you're reacting, it's, <laughs> and this is why it happens too. I mean, never mind the lizard brain and all that. Uh, but when reaction, quick, immediate reaction saves the life of yourself or others, it gets ingrained in you. Mm-hmm. And a thoughtful response takes time. And when hesitation kills, it, it gets, it, it, you not naturally react instead of a thoughtful response, which is great in an emergency situation. That's why you and I can do things that nobody else can do. If, right. if, if your brain isn't set up that way, you're going to uh, run away or you're going to freeze up or you're going to be flustered or no idea what to do. You know, you just lock yeah. up. Yeah. And um, whereas you and I, we get more calm, we get more logical and we break down the priority action approach and we triage the scene and we just do the right thing in the right order. It's just, we just do it. Yeah. And then we get the shakes later <laughs> or go for a drink. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? um, but in the moment, we can do it. We can perform where very, very, very few people can form. Great for emergency situations, the shits for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. It does not work in a relationship. I can tell you that. No. The, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. That, that's our comfort zone. That's our, that's our wheelhouse. You can place me in the middle of a chaotic situation, you know, multi-jurisdictional responses, I'm good. I can, I can coordinate all of that. But when I walk into my own four walls, everything goes to hell, right? Like I, I can't even remember how to tie my shoes. Like it's, uh, it's weird, but until you overcome that, until you find that transition or find that way to, to be comfortable in your personal life, like you need, you can't be, we have a certain amount of stoicism in our professional life that's needed in order to do the job that we do. That stoicism does not reflect well in our personal lives. Our, you know, our partners, our children, our friends, you know, they, they aren't good with that. Or our uniquely dark gallows humor that makes us laugh our asses off. Everybody else is horrified. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, it just doesn't work. And that, that's why, I mean, that's what leads to, I mean, a lot of relationships ending and so much chaos in people's personal lives. Like, it's just that we don't know how to flip that switch. We don't know how to functionally disconnect and realize, okay, I'm coming out of the workforce. My shift's over. I'm going to make that deliberate transition to, you know, my personal life now where 
some of the behaviors that work well in my work life will not work here. And, you know, whether it's, you know, taking your uniform off and packing it away and putting it away and doing that symbolic transition, kind of like Superman when he goes into the phone booth. Well, the most like, powerful part of my transition, and, and I apologize to everybody who's about to hear what I'm going to say, and you don't have what I have, and you don't think you'll ever have <laughs> what I have. I am so sorry. But uh, the biggest part of my uh, transition, and I know this is going to hurt some people to say it, but it's my wife. Because um, she is a strong person uh, who does not do the first responder thing. She, right. She's a school principal, so she still can switch into emergency mode and she can sort shit right. out and be very effective. But that's not her all day, every day. She's, it's, emergencies aren't uh, her, um, her norm. They're, the, they're an occasional thing that she can deal with really well. But yeah. if I didn't have her as the counterbalance to, so I could watch, observe, and um, have that as my beacon of, right. okay, this is how it's supposed to be, you know? Yeah, and uh, she'll call you on your shit. Yeah, exactly. My wife the same way, which early, for a big part of our relationship, I was really bitter about like, oh my God, like get off my back. But now having come through, you know, to the point where I am now, it's like, thank God for that. And sometimes it's tough to call people on their shit. Like if you don't have a spouse like that in your life, uh, create that relationship with whoever your best friend is, you know, yeah. uh, create, yeah, a that's safe, important. create a safe space where when they're flying low, you can call them out. I can think of one friend right now that he's a great friend, love him to death. But yeah. My God, um, uh, like I, I have to be so gentle when, when I, when he's flying low mm. and some of the stuff that uh, he has said and done, within his family and he thinks it's okay. Mm. You know, uh, uh, yeah. as, as close as I can get is, did you really say that to your wife? Like you said that. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I leave it there. Cause I know I can't go any further. Right. But if he were to open the door to say, Hey, I was kind of, sussing out there that uh you <laughs> that you're not too uh, that you think that may be not okay um i just want you to know i, I if that's what you're thinking i want to hear i want to hear it you know do right. you, you don't think that was okay tell me tell me more about that but if, until that door is open for me i'm not going to knock on it because <laughs> yeah. i know what's on the other side it's a brahma bull and i, <laughs> I can't poke that beer you yeah. know but it is important, especially friendships. Like it is important to be able to have that friend or those that group of friends where you're you're very supportive of each other, but you you will also call each other out. It's yeah. it's um in a loving way, in a respectful way, but it's no nonsense. Like what are you thinking? You can't do. You cannot do that. Yeah. Right. It's very important. Yeah. Um, Mark, what are tell everybody where they can find you and how they can find your podcast. Well, it's, I'm the easiest guy in the world to find if you can spell my name, which almost nobody can do. Uh, so it's uh, Mark with a K, and then MindKey is M-E-I-N-C-K-E. So for everybody in our community, Mike Echo, Indian November, Charlie, Kilo Echo. Don't forget right. the Charlie, everybody does. And um, uh, Google me, I'm freaking everywhere. Uh, LinkedIn, I don't check a lot, but, uh, but I'm there. Uh, right. Facebook. But the best is to, um, uh, Google Operation Tango Romeo. Stands for trauma recovery. Operation right. Tango Romeo, and uh, I'm on a bazillion different platforms. So my prime my primary upload spot is Anchor.fm. Okay. Um, and 
and from there, Google Podcasts and Apple are the two biggest platforms, but there's many, many more. If you're yeah. on Spotify, I'm there, uh, Podbean, bunch of others. Right. Perfect. All right, brother, we're going to get you on this question. Knowing what you know now, having been through what you've been through, if you could go back and talk to yourself before your first deployment, what advice would you give yourself? Before the deployment. Yeah, before Ooh. you ever deployed. <laughs> don't. <laughs> would it be? Would it be don't? Well, I, I wrestle with it because I'm grateful. Yeah. Uh, I only have one tour and I'm grateful for it. Um, it wrecked me. You know, there's, uh, it's not uh, an understatement to say it, uh, it wrecked me. Um, but you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here helping as many people as you do if you didn't go through that. When you've gone through something and you're able to come out the other side, only then can you help other people that have gone through it. Yeah. Had I not done that, uh, had I not been in a war zone, who am I to help people? You know, like uh, maybe I could be a psychologist and do, you know, but it's, it's that sense of connection and community. You Mm -hmm. know, um, most people, even if it doesn't matter if it's a different tour or a different time or Afghanistan or, or whatever, they still know I was in a war and I got enough respect there, enough street cred that, um, most people accept my tour as being on, as being their peer, you know, and right. same, same with the first responders, you know, it's like, have I seen the shit that you've seen, Sean? No, I have not. And you haven't seen the shit that I've seen, right. but it's, um, but that's okay. You know, I've seen some shit Yeah, <laughs> and right. I know it, 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 that's good enough, right? It's enough yeah. for, you, for you to trust me to understand. And yeah. more importantly, you know, I've been injured and that it's had a ugly impact on my life mm-hmm. and that's enough. Yeah. The, the modality of the trauma does, doesn't matter. But no. it, it puts me in this community so that people do take me aside and they talk to me and share with me because I share with everybody. Right. Yeah. So I, I wrestle with that. You know, what would I tell myself? Mm. Uh, fuck, I don't know. Cause there's nothing that happened there that was unavoidable, that was avoidable, you right. know? Um, uh, and I was quite injured before the tour. The tour just mm. simply tipped it right over. Um, and cause it's a cumulative thing. It's right. a cumulative thing. It's not just one or the other, hmm. you know? It, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I, how I feel about you is, I'm sorry that you went through what you went through. Like, I wouldn't want that for anybody. However, there is a part of me that's grateful for it, that I'm thankful that you went through what you went through and you came out the other side because now you're here and now you're in this community and you are a very important part of this community. And I'm glad that you're here. And I realize that the only reason that you're here is because of your connection to your trauma. It's because of that, because of going through it and, and what you've learned since then. So, well, it's Theo, kind of a, Theo you know Fleury, what I mean? Theo Fleury says the same thing. He's uh, grateful. I, and it's, it's impossible to, to imagine, but if Theo Fleury can not only forgive Graham James for raping him 150 times, yeah, but he's thankful for Graham James. Because mm. if... That's powerful. If Theo hasn't, hadn't endured that, he wouldn't be able to help others. 
Right. So I'm, I am grateful for my tour and I'm grateful for my injuries as, because it hurt more than me. It hurt everybody around me. Right. Anybody close to me was hurt. My parents were hurt. My sister was hurt. Um, my first wife was really hurt. Uh, my kids mm -hmm. have been hurt. Um, there's been a lot of ancillary damage done, a lot of secondary trauma because of my trauma. And that fucking sucks. And I'm sorry yeah. to all of them. You know, yeah. uh, the only thing I can do about it is uh, continue the activity of recovery and, and do right. the right thing. Do the work. That's, do, that's how you show them. You do the work. Do the work and, and continue to work on getting healthier, better habits. But at the same time, the amount of pain that I've been able to alleviate in others right. has, has at least matched the pain that I've caused, you know, and maybe eclipsed. So it's kind of like my, I have to balance out the karma of that shit. I've done some damage. Yeah. So That's right. I, I've got to do more healing than, 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 the, than the damage I've done. Hmm. Well said, brother. Listen, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, well, it's, it's been it's, an honor to, to talk, talk to you and get to know you better. And I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for doing what you do. I'm uh, grateful for Operation Tango Romeo. Uh, please keep doing your work. We need more of it. Uh, obviously, any, any stuff of yours that I see, I try to share. Uh, we'll continue to do so. But thank you for taking the time to chat. Thank you, brother. I, uh, I appreciate it. It's an important more than it's a critical conversation it we, we, we've covered a lot of ground um i mean sometimes 15 minutes and you're done but we're here at a buck 20 and uh it's yeah. been, it's been really good and i hope there's been some value for your listeners oh dude a lot there's been value for me so i mean it's been great but um yeah please just keep taking care of yourself and everybody around you in these weird times that we have now but if there's anything else you're doing or if you ever want to come back on and talk about something, please let me know. You're welcome anytime. And uh, again, thank you for taking the time. Thanks, brother. And uh, since you're in Calgary, aren't you? I am. Yeah. So we got to get you in studio here. I got to. Dude, uh, let's do it. You can see half the studio here, but we'll get you down to Okotoks to have you cross the table and uh, mask up if you want. I don't give a shit. And <laughs> uh, Very good. Where we go. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Thank you, man. Today's episode of Operation Tango Romeo is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, the Vancouver Island Works Project. Vancouver Island Works Project. They are providing us at Operation Tango Romeo with a premium website. They're building it for us, populating it. They're looking after everything that I don't know how to do. If you are looking for a website for yourself, please check out the Vancouver Island Works Project, viwproject.com. That's Victor India Whiskey Project.com. Now, they do a lot more than just websites. They do a whole bunch. Please check out their services on the service tab on their website at viwproject.com. Accounting, bookkeeping, uh, Microsoft and Adobe training, social media management, you name it. Now, the website is that they're building for us is just under construction right now. It'll be up and running probably in a few weeks. There'll be a big announcement about that, but Vancouver Island works project.com is supporting Tango Romeo. Thank you for that. Thank you, Manny Mandrusiak, who I served with and please check them out, man. Check them out. Get a premium website for yourself. <laughs>
At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. 